This is efficiency on demand. On demand. High performance. Human optimization. Human optimization. People think hectic, craziness, no time, no fun. Just work, work, work. work, work. work. Perform, perform. Harder, harder. Push, push. Machines, high pressure, no time. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and human optimization specialist. During the show, Monique and her guest will talk about all things time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery, and energy efficiency. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency On Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Efficiency On Demand. I have my good friend, Matt Singers, on here, and he is a amazing management coach, consultant, and master of management. <laughs> so, Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you so much for being on today. Well, thank you very much. I sound very cool when you say it like that. So that's great. <laughs> well, you are very cool. So that's probably the first thing to know about you. Um, but before we jump into all of the questions, tell our audience a little bit about who you are and a little bit more what you do. So my name is Matt Singers, originally from Denmark, which is a small, tiny country in Europe. And I've spent the last, feels like 20 years, coastal, thinking, working, being in management. And uh, yeah, it's my passion and that's what I love doing. I uh, nowadays mostly coach business owners, mostly entrepreneurs, sort of small to mid-sized businesses, really on how to improve and strengthen their management skills, right? Nowadays, a lot of business owners, they start business and suddenly they grow, they suddenly have a whole bunch of people around them, and they don't really know much about what they're doing. So I basically come in, help them upskill themselves, and help them basically get sort of the 80-20 of what's needed, and uh, really t use that to take them to the next level, right? A lot of businesses sort of get to sort of a, a level of 5, 10, 15 people, And when they get to that stage, they sort of just plateau. They struggle to grow, and it's often because the, the founders aren't they, they aren't really equipped to take the, le the, the business to the next level in that current shape, right, without actually upskilling themselves. And that's, that's really what I do. So I work with a lot of clients either on a one-to-one -one basis or very often on a one-to-the-executive team. So if it's the, the owner of the business and a couple of top-level managers, et cetera, Often I, I work with them. So I, I have a various models of how I work with people. So some of them, it's like literally walk into their business. Uh, quite a few clients have, that I work with have sort of teams that are spread all over the world. And a couple of times a year, they might bring them all together in one spot. And then they often bring me in to come help work with them. And that's, yeah. And I do a lot of also one-to-one -one coaching where I basically just work with people consistently month in, month out to again, help them get to new levels. I love it. I love it. I think it's so important what you're doing because, I mean, we've talked quite a bit uh, in the past week 
and also before when we met in Berlin. But one thing that is always really uh, literally jumping in my face when I talk to people, especially people who, as you said, they start a business, they don't know check shit about it. We can swear on this podcast, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I do, so my guests are allowed to. <laughs> so I feel like that there is a huge, huge difference between leadership and management and then, you know, like being a boss and whatever, what we don't even want to do. Tell me what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely is. I mean, most people feel management is a big, scary thing. Reality is most things you have never looked at are very scary, right? The, the reason why most people find management very scary is really because they've never spent any time improving it, right? It, it's very similar to like public speaking or recruitment and things like that, where if you do it like once a year or even less than that, like it becomes very frightening. But for most people, if they actually take a little bit of time to, to get to know sort of the basics, mm. it becomes really interesting because when you can suddenly see your business grow and bloom without you having to do everything, like that's an amazing feeling. And when you see your your business just booming, right, and you feel that you, you're doing the impact, you feel the way you're working with people makes the difference. And, and for most people, that's really the scenario. Right. So for a lot of people and often people are grown that way, like even within large organizations, like I, I worked in the likes of IBM. Right. And it's like, oh, congratulations, you got promoted. So tomorrow when you come into work, you'll be a manager and you kind of walk in and you're like, well, I learned nothing. Nothing happened overnight. So now I have this new job and I'm supposed to have all these management skills. But not, not everyone has spent the time in personal development around that topic that I have. But that's the expectation. And it's the same in small businesses. People are like, oh, this guy is great at, I don't know, customer service. Let's promote him to the customer service manager. And I'm sure on Monday when he comes in, he'll be a brand new person, right? And that is rarely the case. So for most people, like taking that little bit of time to get to know management a little bit better really makes such a difference in terms of one, how much they enjoy it, two, how good they are at it, and, and three, really how they see the next steps. Because, again, this is not complex. Like if you can learn e-commerce or if you can learn SEO or if you can learn any of these specialized things that, that where most entrepreneurs start, you can definitely become very good at management in not too long. But the, the essence is really doing it, right? Like I, I've developed a course that I call uh, Management Mastery, and it's basically four hours worth of videos. Like we're not talking weeks here. We're talking four hours, right? And I look at it as being the 80-20 of this is sort of the key processes, et cetera. And that's really a starting point that really takes a lot of people, gives them a huge jump. And and that's what I'm looking for, right? Like I'm, I'm looking for people to take the initial interest that will, that will get them that sort of 80-20 and will just make them significantly better going forward, right? I love it. I think a lot of people, they underestimate how we can learn all of these skills, whether it's hard skills or soft skills that you need for team management. And obviously, you can improve them. Like, you do obviously need a little bit of compassion, empathy, whatever, like, just human human behavioral skills, human nature. Like, just if you're not human whatsoever or you're just an asshole, then I don't think you should be managing people. 
Yeah, what I would say is you can learn a lot of things, right? So what, one of the things that I'm I'm very, very keen on is, is sort of behavioral management, both understanding yourself and understanding other people. And like very few people sort of sit down and say, now I want to be rude. Right. Right. Like it doesn't work like that. When Like a lot of the time, some people, for example, are very direct and other people would maybe say, oh, this guy's so rude. He told me I look ugly. Now, Maybe he thinks you look ugly and he's just being very direct, right? But the whole thing is like most people aren't great at understanding other human beings. And that's why that's a big piece of the course. It's actually this understanding people, particularly understanding yourself. And then second, understanding people who are very different from who you are. Because same way, like I never see people walk into an office and say, today I want to do a bad job. Like, right. it, no, but it doesn't happen. And yet every business owner sits out there and feel like, oh, people don't care. They don't want to do a good job, but they do, right? The reason why they aren't doing a good job is probably because they either don't know how, they haven't had the right leadership, they haven't, they're not motivated to do it, et cetera. But no one wakes up in the morning saying, I want to go to work and do a crap job. Right. It just doesn't happen. So a lot of that and, and understanding that fundamentals really helps you put things into a different perspective because you're like, well, okay, maybe it is. The bucket does stop with me. Make it it is me that needs to do a little bit of change to to really move things forward. And and small things can make huge differences. And and fundamentally, like I definitely have some of those, let's call it human flaws. Like I'm definitely not a, a very emotional person, for example. But again, like if you understand the value it have to other people, if you understand to sort of work with people and, and if you understand like what you're supposed to do you can still learn to do a lot of the stuff even though it might not be your favorite cup of tea but if you know that you get 80 percent more out of your people if you do it again to a lot of people that can be motivating right yeah i mean the people in the uh who listened to us they didn't see it but when you were talking about the direct person who would call people ugly i was just raising my hand <laughs> Yeah. Just, I mean, I'm really blunt and just straightforward. I know when to kind of slow down and not be as direct and choose different words. But it's just sometimes talk before I think, and this is just who I am. So I obviously have to, when I do am in a management position and I do have to team management, I definitely have to hold my tongue and know how to, as you say, interact with people differently. So let's dive a little bit in there because I think this is really, really important and I know where we're going with this. So I know that you're really, really great in analyzing people with a DISC profile. And we had a situation last week that I want to take this as an example, which I thought it was really interesting. It was really, really great. Maybe you can explain. You, I know that you know which one it was, right? Let's talk about it. Let's bring it on. You can, you can just maybe from your perspective, um, talk about which, like what happened. Yeah, so I guess you're talking, someone was trying to look at yourself and, and trying to understand your personality. Yeah, and totally got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, and totally got it wrong. And, and it was very interesting because just like myself, you have you've definitely learned to smile yeah. because you understand that it makes people either like you or uh, how do you say it? it? It makes you more approachable as yeah. a human being. <laughs> it was very obvious that someone was, was sort of trying to read your personality and so on. and it was very, very obvious how you have sort of, again, not necessarily learned to fake to smile. You probably have, but but more so that you've learned like, hey, when I'm in a social setting, when I'm meeting new people, 
yeah. the smiling thing is a great thing to do because it makes people sort of connect with you much better. It makes them it makes them like you better. And while life is not about being liked, uh, the thing is, if people feel that you look cold and they're like, oh, I don't want to go talk to that person, that is definitely not a benefit for you. Yeah. And I think for context, where this comes from is I started dancing as a ballerina when I was three years old, three and a half. And obviously, as a ballerina, you usually smile unless you're in like a nutcracker kind of piece. And so it was more like of a show dance ballet kind of mix but as a, as a young kid you dance as a you're a teddy bear you're a snowflake <laughs> literally I was a snowflake <laughs> which is not pretty funny knowing what snowflake stands for in these days but anyways so I was a snowflake I was snow white I was like all kind of costumes wearing and so anyways so saying that like in this area era of my life I was in excruciating pain basically like five to six times out of the week five to six days out of a week and so that's the context of why I was would be able to smile all the time to just not be a burden to others to make not others feel bad about myself so I would just keep smiling and it also made me feel less pain if I would just make myself happy by smiling and dancing so and I'm a total stage person I can go in front of hundreds of thousands of people on the stage and talk whatever but if you put me in a setting with 10 people i'm like oh yeah okay great nice to meet you not not even fake it till you make it but just fake it yeah <laughs> it's just like it, it's not even for the others it's just for myself i think to get through i think from a high level point of view right like all this oh you should be positive and you should sound positive that's everyone says that but but even honestly even when you do it like even if you force yourself to smile even if it's forced, it will actually make you happier than the opposite. Because every time you get upset, every time you're unhappy, like it naturally have a reaction within your body. Like, yeah, you can't force away all pain and you can't like do that by faking it, right? But the thing is a lot of the time, like again, I always look at it the same way. Every situation can be perceived in a good or a bad way, right? Pretty much every situation you ever come into. And the more you can look at things from the good side, the more you are to get good stuff out of it. Yeah. Right. So we met at this event and then this person tried to kind of uh, disc profile me. And we got to say, like, I think Matt is one of the people who is literally mastering the disc profile. I have never met someone who can literally look at people and within like maybe a minute or two knows more or less like the exact disc profile. So tell me a little bit more what you perceived in this situation about him trying to, to guess my disc profile about me. I think uh, just to take a step back, so so for me, it's more like I'm sure a lot of the audience know a lot of these sort of personalities, sort of behavioral tools, right? And and just to take a step back with it, like I would say for me, fundamentally, like personality tools are great and they can do a lot of stuff. The biggest problem with them is always the fact that they're based on people's self-perception and whether you want to or not, people's self-perception is generally not great. So one of the biggest issues, like, for example, when, when people take a lot of these tests, they're like, ooh, I changed since last time. And reality is your natural behavior doesn't change. Like the volume of your voice, if you were really loud as a kid, you're not going to be a quiet adult. Like it doesn't work like that. Your personality is your personality. 
Now, you can learn things, you can learn skills, you can even learn to become less uncomfortable with things, but who you are, like your natural behavior and your natural personality, it doesn't change. Like when you look at kids, like it's easy to see what they're going to grow up and be like. That's not a good or a bad thing. That's just how human beings are. But the fundamentals for me is, is really being able to really learn the essence of looking at other human beings, looking at their natural behaviors, and then how do I communicate with this human being the best way? How do I communicate with this person in a way that makes it the most effective? And again, it's not really about manipulating people, but just some basics is if someone much prefer talking to you instead of writing emails to you, mm -hmm. then do that. Because again, if that's going to get you significant better outcome by communicating the way they like to, like, do you want a great outcome? Yes, no. Yes, I would like greater outcomes in my life, right? So for me, it's, it's really basically about learning to really understand human beings and really just learning to use very, very simple mechanisms to do that, right? So, yeah, I mean, just if we take a specific example, like someone was looking at you and they're like, wow, she's smiling a lot. She's definitely very direct. She's definitely... So they, they did get a, a piece of your personality pretty well, but fundamentally, they were kind of... They were seeing something else because you were smiling a lot. And, and that's what it is. Most of the time, generally, when you analyze people, you want to do it in situations where where you're observing them, not aware. Because, again, when people are aware, when people are around other people, they sometimes behave differently than they would when no one's looking. But so fundamentally, though, it's for me the, the essence of, of being good with human beings, and, and that's good in business, good in pretty much everything, is, is really about learning to work with people and, and learning to communicate to people in a, in a way that they find nice and effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you, I found it really um, interesting as well, that one of the reasons that the person analyzed my profile, basically, or whatever we would say about it was uh, the colors I'm wearing. Yeah. And it was really interesting to me because I thought like, oh, I never heard that before as a kind of like a, a KPI, if you want to say, right? No, and, and I wouldn't look at it as a KPI. I would more say, so different people are different. But if you look at a nerd, like let's take the best examples, right? If you look at, at, at a developer that sits at home in his basement or in his mom's basement or whatever, right. generally they yeah. don't give two shits about what they're wearing, right? They'll happily wear the same T-shirt right. 20 years in a row. Not a problem. So actually like what people wear have a lot to do with their personality. So... Some people, as example, some people are crazy about eyeballs. So, like, if you know, so if you know any guys that would ever put on a pink suit and go out, like, people would usually do that because they want attention. And people wanting attention is usually that usually tells you quite a bit about their behavior, which is why he would tie the, the likes of color of your dress, etc., into sort of your personality. Now. Obviously, there's never black and white with things like that, but but in general, that's that's sort of the thinking behind it, and and that's how I look at it as well. Like most of the time, you can actually again, you can tell a lot by people's behaviors, and that would be things like how frequent eye contact do they do, the volume of their voice, the amount of their smiling, how they use their arms, right? Like how movements they have, how again, what they dress like. Is it professional? Is it sloppy? Is it 
don't look at me kind of colors or is it like here yeah, my kind of colors and so so there's there's definitely a lot of things you can look at from a behavioral standpoint but really it's generally it's adding it all up and and trying to see what that makes right but uh, right okay i think this is going to be really really interesting and we do have a little bit more time so let's dive in and maybe you can explain all of the disc and what a really high and a really low person typically would show sure okay yeah so if we take it basically disc is is like a circle right mm -hmm. and you have in the in the top left hand corner you have the d's and the d's are very dominant people so they're generally very competitive they're very goal-oriented they're very very sort of focused on objectives so they're the people who would do anything to win they get super super emotional if they ever lose and it doesn't matter if it's they're playing a game of cards or if they're playing soccer or whatever they're doing they hate losing right they're competitive uh -huh. they always want to win and very often they'll do whatever it takes to win even if you have to cheat a little bit etc so that's the d's right they're very very direct now as people they're very direct they'll tell you like if they don't like your shirt they will tell you i don't like your shirt they're very very straight to the point that their, their focus is efficiency so their, their focus is like why bullshit around when i can say exactly what i mean and you get it a lot of people often see them as being rude because they are direct and that's not people like themselves but that's people who are very different than they are they would often see them or consider them being rude so that's these then you have the eyes and the eyes are very sort of typical sales people they love talking they love hearing their own voice they love sort of yeah. they love getting attention right so like if you have a company reward of the year for the worst performer they would like happily walk on stage and like yay it's me i'm the worst like they want eyeballs for whatever for no reason again these are the typical people who would wear a pink suit or buy an orange car or something they want people to look at them because they like attention then you have the s's which is the typical mom or the typical sort of uncle type role where you're like hey how's everyone doing everyone else okay they always think about everyone else before they think about themselves right and with that they're always they're the typical people that would say like yeah let's bake a cake every friday and sit down in a circle and talk and make sure everyone's doing well and that kind of thing so they're they're, they're often very good for team morale they're often the people who if anyone in the team is not doing well they know and they're talking with them right so they're always right. trying to help everyone they're always trying to take care of everyone except themselves and then you have the c's which are the sort of accountant slash nerd slash very very detail-oriented people right they basically they live and breathe like processes consistency how do you do it they always try and follow the rules that are the people who you know if the speed limit is 50 they will drive 50 and not 49 and not 51 but they'll drive 50 and they're like they're, they're always like following the rules and they hate when others don't and they will take them up and they'll say hey you didn't do what you're supposed to do kind of thing and yeah generally very good with numbers very logical love even repeatable work so again like as, as i mentioned things like accountancy uh, development etc where you're sitting basically doing the same thing a lot of times they love that kind of thing they love perfection. They love optimizing. 
they love learning. Like they read all sorts of books about all sorts of stuff that they don't need to know, but they just like knowledge. They love knowledge. And they often have like, they're often the, the highest IQ people around. They have, a, they're very logical people and they're very sort of. So like, can you combine, for example, high D and high C, high D and high S? Yeah. So basically the way it works is you basically everyone have a primary and a secondary. So they would often be, for example, high D, low C, high D, low I, or something like that. And it will always be something adjacent so that you can't have DSs and you can't have CIs. So it's always an adjacent one. If you ever have any mix-up, again, it's because like sometimes in tests you will see a DS or see a CI, and it's generally because they don't know themselves well enough to do the test correctly. Yeah. So when you guess not guessed when you knew about me like what did you say was my outcome yeah so your fundamentals from basic point of view was was sort of dc right so you your two personality types of dc which means you're extremely task focused you're very sort of you you think work you think logical you're very sort of what's the next step what's the next step who do i need to help me like that kind of mindset and I definitely point out if you don't follow the rules. <laughs> and you definitely point out if people don't follow the rules, etc. So again, like... Unless I don't follow them. Pretty simple. Then I just pretend they weren't there. But you usually will. Not always, but usually. I know. It's Sometimes it's frustrating how this is ingrained into my German blood. I had It was so funny. I had a conversation yesterday with someone from Sweden. And we were literally making fun of each other. How this is because I, I do believe it's something, it's definitely Norsk European as well. So Denmark, Sweden, uh, Norway, and uh, Finland definitely have that as well somehow. Yeah. So it's not a country thing. Like, so you will find equal amount of, you will find an equal amount of disc profiles in either so? of those countries, right? So there's definitely some cultural things that pushes it a little bit to the extremes. But you'll find just as many I's, just as many D's, and just as many S's in Germany as you'll find elsewhere. But what I mean is I do believe somehow that cultural aspects kind of, as you say, pushes a little bit more to the extreme. But I do believe people in Germany tend to follow the rules way more than people in America try. For, for example, now what would happen is, like, for example, if you look at the German culture, will happen is eyes who are usually horrible at being on time. If a high eye is a German, now they will naturally, because of the culture, they will be more inclined to be on time and they'll get more shit when they're not on time. So therefore they will do, they'll put more effort into doing something that isn't natural right, to them. But it doesn't mean that it's comfortable for them, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. And then in Germany, not being on time means actually being on time or two minutes late. Yeah. So there's another thing to that. <laughs> yeah. So, but the fundamental is that that you you will often see people who they aren't in their element when they're doing it. So, so you right. definitely see people in Germany that's like that would be naturally significantly more comfortable elsewhere because being on time is not something that right that helps them personally. Yeah. So just in the same way, like in Germany, as an example, if we take the opposite, in, in Germany, people are not necessarily very open-minded to strangers. So it's not very usual just walking around talking to strangers in the street. 
and just randomly striking up conversations. So again, people who like doing that sort of thing, it's less comfortable in Germany because they would like if that was much more normal and everyone talks to each other. And when you sit into it, when you sit down in a train, everyone just start talking, even though they don't know each other. Like some people are very comfortable with that. Now, there's still people who do that, right? You'll still find people in Germany who do that, no doubt. But it's, they'll look down upon a little bit or they're like, oh, this guy's crazy. He's talking to other human beings. Why would he do that? Right? Yeah. Um, they definitely want to walk away from yeah. you. You definitely get, I had so many bad reactions to that. Since I started traveling, I do talk to people a lot, just randomly, and it doesn't go well in Germany. <laughs> no, I, I can say the same thing for Denmark. It's, they look at you like you're a very, very weird human being. Yeah. <laughs> I had literally like a mother trekking her kids away from me, and I was like, oh, it's that bad already. Wow, okay. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So tell me a little bit about how would you approach, since we're like on efficiency on demand here, if you get your team, or tell me, Let's start differently. So you are hired to um, help someone out with team management. You get to the team and the first thing you, you think is like, holy motherfucking shitballs. That's horrible. So what do you find if you think this kind of scenario? That rarely happens because the thing is, if you actually have a business that is making some kind of money, it's usually not that bad. Like what's often lacking would be things like how well people are taken care of particularly, as I mentioned earlier, like the mm. communication style, like, oh, yeah, this staff member wasn't talked to for four and a half years, and we don't know what they're doing, and maybe they're not, etc. So that's often some of the sort of biggest things where, yeah, again, like, stop talking with them kind of helps. Now, generally, in, in most cases, the clients I work with, they, their number one struggle is really getting more structure in. Like, they're often so busy working, again, cliche working in their business that they never have the time to sort of look up they're kind of like in the trenches and they're kind of like oh i need someone to do this thing let me hire someone to do this thing but they don't kind of look up and say hey wait a minute the way we have hired a bunch of people the way the organization is structured isn't very effective for what we're trying to achieve right so a lot of what i do with new clients is really sit down and sort of look at existing operation, look at what are they trying to achieve and then see, does those two things match right now or what needs to be changed to make that better, right? Amen. I think a lot of people, they, as you say, they just start hiring randomly without setting up, first of all, without setting up a proper team structure, but also without thinking about the team culture they want to implement, the vision and mission, and also their core values that they want to base it on. And then when you ask them for their like core values? Yeah, I would say one comment to that because I, I totally agree. And it have been like sort of the last two, three years, a lot of people have started looking a lot more at that stuff. What I generally recommend is I don't think that's where you should start because fundamentally until you have a team of two, three, four, five people, you don't really have core values in your business. Like you have personal core values, but your business don't really have a lot of core values because honestly, you don't know what it is yet. So very often in the beginning, yeah, I think some people also spend a bit too much time kind of overanalyzing things in that regard. Because yes, if you want to do everything perfect and so on, that can be a good way to look at it. But until you have a business, like until you actually have like repeatable processes that are making you money consistently, like... right. Your core values is you, right? And 
while you're a great person and all that, it's not necessarily the same as, as core business values, right? Sure. So. But I do believe a lot of people don't even look at them and they don't understand sure. where, where they come from. And I do believe actually that we as a person who found businesses, our personal core values trip down into our businesses as well. So, and that is very depending on your personality. So definitely, again, some people like yourself, you're very, very driven. You're very clear. You're very direct about what you're looking for, et cetera. So your core values would probably strike true in a business. But in a lot of business, like a lot of businesses have a founder that's, that's either an implementer or a visionary. And quite often, if you have a visionary that's like, I want to build this great thing, but they have an implementer, they hired an implementer to do things, often the core values of the business will match the implementer very well. And it's kind of the like how the implementer gets shit done in the business rather than necessarily the, the core values of the founder and how he looks at things. So again, it's not always the case, but it is sometimes, mm. right? So <laughs> again, this is why it, it's much right. easier to sit down and analyze the business when you actually have some people in it and then say, well, who are we? right when we look at our top guys like what are they where do they come from what's the background like what is the core value of this team and even sitting down and, and backtracking and say why are we successful well actually we are successful because we like whenever a customer have a problem we throw everything we're doing and we go fix that problem right now yeah. that might not necessarily be a founder's personality that might just be how the team have been built up the people have been brought in initially etc but but when you have an actual team to work with and look at that work just becomes significantly easier and it often gets actually let me turn it around what often happens is when people do the core values before they have a team they often shoot way beside where they end up after having five people and yes you can definitely do it again Often what happens is people feel they're a failure. They're like, oh, I set my core values for these things and I didn't, it doesn't work, it doesn't resonate. And they feel like a failure, which, which they're not. Yeah, totally, totally. And I totally agree. I also think like uh, when I say like you need to build team culture, I obviously mean you need to build it with your team. I don't believe in like that the founder should be sitting down and said like, this is our team culture. And then the team is like, nope, it's not. Like we don't like tacos, we like sushi. Obviously that's it. But you know what I mean? Like it's it's one of these things, like if the team that you already hired, if you leave them out of the whole process in order to kind of bring new people in, I don't think that's going to ever work well. So tell me about how you actually got started with this work and why you're doing it. Well, my, my passion is helping people. So I'm a, I am naturally a high S and a high C. So I'm, I know my stuff very well. I love helping people. So that's sort of the, the primary drive from, from myself. The way I got started, very simple. I, even when I worked corporate, I started coaching people. And I was like, oh, you want to get into management? Here, I'll help you and all that kind of stuff. And then over time, I, I started working. Initially, it was mostly friends. And then over time, I started getting paid to do it and got amazing results. And yeah, I just kept going, keep helping people. And eventually, when I left IBM, I started doing it on a high-level basis. Initially, I worked with a lot of corporate clients, but pretty quickly, I... I started working more with entrepreneurs just because the the drive and so on. Like often when you work with corporate clients, you know, it's kind of like often they don't give a shit. So even if you get hired by a corporate company, like, you know, the people in it doesn't always care that much about the work. Whereas when you work with entrepreneurs, like it's their life breath. So they, they care a lot. So you often get, 
yeah, you, you see the impact in a very, very different way, which is, which is very rewarding and fulfilling on a personal level. Yeah. So what was the most, maybe the most unbelievable story throughout your coaching? That's a good question. Well, I'll say one of the biggest impacts that probably surprised me the most. So I work with a guy that have a team. He had 28, 29 people when I first met him. And he had a team of six managers. Like he was a great guy. The management team, with one exception, was, was great. And he hadn't grown for two and a half years. And what happened was I came in, I spent two days with them. So first day, kind of with a lot of time with the founder and then a bit sort of training with the management team. And then afterwards, I basically ended up sitting down with the management guys one-on-one, one -on -one, kind of talking about the experience, their feelings, like how they were. And the primary thing, they were very overprotective of their staff. Like they were very, very afraid of getting people too busy or giving people too much work. And the problem is a lot of people like new shit. Like they like getting more responsibility. And if the boss is always like, oh, I don't want to ask if they want to help with this thing because they might feel stressed. That was really the number one thing. Like they, all they had to do was ask the staff to step up. And as soon as they did it, like they literally grew from these 28, 29 people to nearly 90 people in, in about nine months' wow. time, right? And it was literally like they, they had the right people in place. They had, But it was just, there was a little bit with the management. So both in terms of, of, of asking for more, but also in terms of setting sort of clear goals and expectations and so on. But basic management processes, right? And it literally didn't take much to literally fire that rocket ship and, and get it moving. And that was a very eye-opening experience because it was really one of those like, it shouldn't be that easy kind of thing. Whereas, right. yeah, very often that is reality. In most businesses, they're not far from success. Like most businesses aren't like way off because then they wouldn't be in business. It's often sort of small adjustments that makes gigantic differences, right? I love that. That's amazing. All right, so we're getting slowly to the end. So I want to ask a question that I almost, that I do ask every of my podcast guests, I think. So, because we're here on Efficiency on Demand, if you haven't heard it before, subscribe now. So, for you, what does efficiency mean? For me, it's about, I look at it from a business point of view. For me, it's about prioritization. Right? So, for me, it's really about, are you using the time on the right things? And are you prioritizing the right things within the organization? So, if you're saying, okay, my focus this quarter is sales. I open your calendar and I see 10% of what you do have to do with sales, then either one, you don't understand your priorities and you're not following them, or two, you're purposely not following your priorities, which will mean they will totally definitely fail. Boom. That's it. Exactly. Like, anyways, people, you need to get on Matt's course. That's why we want to know where it is. Matt's, where can we find your course and you and your coaching? So mattsingers.com is my website uh, i also have an awesome podcast but yeah my course is on mattsingers.com slash management academy and you also find that in the menu and uh, yeah you can see a lot more about me i do a lot of speaking a lot of public speaking a lot of podcasts i love helping people and yeah you find all the links down below or on the right or left or wherever the show notes are going to be don't forget to subscribe 
Matt, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. It was the most pineapple experience today. Excellent. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> and I hope we're going to have another chat very soon with some pineapple cocktails. Likewise. Have a great time. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned about your ultimate potential, how to control your time, how to create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. Limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And please follow on Instagram at Secret Weapon to Efficiency. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember... Slow down to speed up.